Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it The following words appear in the fall edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal. Pheasants teach me how to hunt pheasants. They always have, they still do, and they forever will. Pheasants make my hands tremble and my heart pound. Why else hunt them? Sometimes I shoot a rooster and feel myself perhaps an expert and my dog perfect. For a moment, <laughs> for both you and I know, those things are never so. Once you think you know it all, or that there is only one right way, <laughs> you are done for. The thrill is flushed and escaped. This will be my 50th season pursuing roosters across the fields of fall and through the sloughs of winter. The only real trick is getting out and walking a lot in good habitat. But along the way, I have learned and yes, relearned a few beyond the conventional lessons and perhaps a few counterintuitive ones that help me feel like an expert a little bit more often. And then off the dog, and I go again into reality. You're smiling. Carp <laughs> smiled. Those words written by Pheasants Forever editor Tom Carpenter. We affectionately call him Carp. Some people on Facebook have termed him a national treasure. <laughs> uh, those words are the foundation for today's episode of On the Wing Podcast. Nine pheasant hunting lessons relearned. Carp, welcome back. Thanks, Bob. And thanks for the, uh, the emph- it, it, it supports the idea of doing a podcast because the emphasis you put on the words is, is, uh, was interesting and enjoyable. Of, of my <laughs> Did I intro. hit the right? You hit it. Yeah, you hit it just right. Okay. I, I, you know, when I write, I don't think about how I would talk it. Really? You know, no. I mean, I write... We're getting off on a tangent. No, already. which is fine. Which is fine. That's you it. you write. I write like I talk, which is pretty direct, straight, short mm-hmm. sentences. Um, but I don't. I don't ever read it to myself. Really, I, I don't talk it to myself. I don't know. It's hard to describe. But I like. Uh, bottom line, I like the emphasis you put on it. Thank uh, you. I um, I too fashion myself a writer. Um, I enjoy writing. And I, um, I have always proofread by reading out loud. Um, I, I don't know why. That's just my, um, I don't know, the, the way I go about mm-hmm. things. When, when I get done with a paragraph or whatever, I, I read it out loud. It drives Meredith crazy. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but generally, I read it out loud. Uh, and I always find, like, just, uh, you know, a missing word or cadence you know it just that's good that's a good trick mm-hmm. i get i think it'd be better to have somebody else read it loud to you but um <laughs> i 
I, I guess the bottom line is I talk to myself while I write, and that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm doing. So I already am talking yeah. to myself. You're, you're probably right. But at bottom line, I, I, thanks. The emphasis you put on that was perfect. Cool. Because that's, that's, that's how I would have read it aloud had I wanted to. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed it very much, and I'm excited to have you back. Yep. Uh, it's been uh, it's maybe been a year, huh? Probably at least nine months. Yeah, probably a year. Last hunting season, probably. Since uh, since you've been on the podcast. So because there's been a little bit of a gap there, um, I, I've, I, I mentioned um, uh, recently I asked on Facebook for folks to uh, offer um, suggestions on improvements or things that they've liked or want changes or just any feedback on the podcast <laughs> And uh, one, uh, I, I apologize, I can't remember the person on Facebook, uh, but but said, get Carp back on. He's a national treasure. <laughs> so, so national treasure, why don't you give our audience just a short background on who you are? Well, I don't know if I'm a national treasure, <laughs> but I'm a I'm an upper Midwest treasure, we'll call it. Um, you know, I've, I've been editor at Pheasants Forever for five years now. I just reached my fifth anniversary congratulations um, thank you and i'm uh i'm the third one in the history of pheasants forever pretty remarkable pretty so remarkable dennis anderson yep mark herwig yep tom carpenter and me and uh that's pretty that's a pretty good company to keep um in fact i i just got the chance to work with dennis on a story in the super issue this year uh which people already have have seen um but you know, I was born and raised a pheasant hunter. I grew up in southern Wisconsin, and uh, people who listen know I grew up with a troop of basset hounds. I got my own first basset hound when I was in fifth grade, and that's what I learned to hunt behind. Mm. And we hunted rabbits, we hunted pheasants, we hunted deer when we weren't hunting rabbits or pheasants. Uh, we hunted squirrels. Uh, we loved the basset hounds, but they weren't good for squirrel hunting, yet we took them out, and they basically... You picture southern Wisconsin, woodlot and farmland country. Mm. I'd go in this woodlot, my brother there, my dad over here, and the basset hounds would run back and forth between us because they didn't know who to go with. Hmm. But when they'd come up to you, like if I was squirrel hunting, I'd say, get out of here, get out of here, because <laughs> they, were, they weren't squirrel hunting. You know, they were, they were pheasant and rabbit dogs. Um, so I've always, I've always sort of been. <laughs> been. It's, it is odd to think about that. You know, they, they were Pheasant, they were pheasant and rabbit dogs, yeah. not squirrel dogs. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're like, get, get out of here, yeah. go. And they, you know, and they had they had basset hound doses. They knew where everybody was. Mm. You know, <laughs> so I, I guess I tell that story to say that that sort of goes back to the roots mm. of my of my pheasant hunting, which which ultimately led me to this job. You know, not only all the outdoor writing I've been doing mm-hmm. since I was in high school, um, and several jobs I've had along the way to this point. Um, I guess the one constant in my life has always been hunting pheasants. And it, and I read in the intro, this is your 50th year coming up. Yeah, I count them out, I count them out on my fingers. First year is when I was 12. 12 years so old. So you, is when you include started. that. So okay. to, to age 21 is 10 years, 31, 41, 51, <laughs> 61. I'll, be, I'll turn 61 during, I'll be pheasant hunting when I turn 61 or sleeping. <laughs> My birthday is November 7th. If anybody wants to send gifts, a box of, a box of bismuth shells, whatever. Um, Happy uh, premature birthday. Yeah. So, you know, 50 years huh. I've been hunting them. And that's sort of, it's sort of, it did drive why I wrote this story. Hmm. You know, I can, 
I can talk and I can write all day about pheasant hunting. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, what we're going to talk about here could all be a story on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially last season in the field, I I sort of knew I was heading toward this 50th season. And I really thought about not necessarily those tactical things that we meant that I, that I sometimes talk about like anybody can say oh a seam is really good for pheasants hit the edge between the grass and the cattails or the slew the slew grass and the willows mm-hmm. or the crop and the grass you know and there's there's several rules that you use when you're pheasant hunting and everybody knows them whether they use them or not um is another another story but i the these nine topics that i wrote about and we're going to talk about um aren't quite so granular they're more concepts they're more mindsets Hmm. um they're more attitudes and approaches and i think that's as i think these topics are as important as the strategy the tactics the the military maneuvers you use on a pheasant Hmm. a lot of it's in your head and your attitude and your approach so I think the last podcast we did together was more mindset-based. Do you find that that's something that has changed in your own thought process over the years where you, you know, you talk about the five, um, you know, phases of being a hunter. What about just the, the mental approach of were you a tactical person early on and now have become more of a theoretical? I'm more of a just get out and do it. <laughs> um, you know, and you, you'll see that in some of the things mm-hmm. we talk about. But yeah, I, which is I, which is a mindset approach yeah, too. Right? But but I am when I'm pheasant hunting. Here here's how it's an escape. Is I'm always think it's not just mindless wandering. Mm-hmm. It's always like I mean, but it can get as granular as God. There's a patch of 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 iron weed over there and that stuff they like they like mm-hmm. to hide in that let's go swing past it mm-hmm. i mean it gets as granular as that i'm always thinking where would i be if i were a pheasant it sounds simple but w- what would i be doing right now mm-hmm. god god it's a it's a cold day but it's sunny maybe i'm gonna be up on a hillside in the sun hmm. maybe i'm not gonna hunt these cattails in the middle of the afternoon maybe i'm gonna hunt that that brome up there mm-hmm. and they're out there sunning themselves um you're so, looking for a pattern, yeah. Just like any whitetail hunter or um, yeah. a fisherman or you know, angler, um, you're trying to identify a pattern. But some of the trick is with pheasants, like all those other, they sometimes don't follow the pattern. Mm-hmm. They do things out of that you don't think they're going to be doing. Um, so th- that's how I approach it. I mean, I'm always thinking. I'm always. I mean, wind is like second nature. What's the wind doing? How, what can I be doing with my dog to take advantage of this seam, this this patch of cover, this slough, whatever I want to hunt? Always thinking about wind. Always thinking about time of day. What are pheasants going to be doing now, or what are they not going to be doing now? And and also and also thinking about, you know, continually trying to be ready. I mean, to me. And we're talking very tactical here. We're, we're going to go a different direction mm-hmm. when we start talking about this story. But to me, one of the biggest, one of the biggest tricks you can use as a pheasant hunter is to always be ready mm. to shoot a bird. And I'm a pointing dog guy, but I, pheasants don't cooperate. Mm. And I, I can see that dog working a bird, and if it goes and it's in range, I'm going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're a flushing dog guy, you better always be ready. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, and that's, that comes back to mindset, you know, Mm. but, but what we're going to talk about here are concepts that can put you on birds, um, and, and keep you on birds. So, all right. So, so, I guess that, that's, that's the bottom line though, is these are all things that I sort of spent last season thinking about these things and trying to live them as I hunted and it, and it, they do work. They do work. So. <laughs> the Tom Carpenter guarantee. Well, <laughs> well. You, as read, read my intro again, and you know, there's no guarantees, but that's, but that's why we hunt them. Right. You know? Nine pheasant hunting lessons relearned by Tom Carpenter. Uh, this article will, will appear in the fall edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal. If you're not yet a member, um, please join. You can join at pheasantsforever.org. Um, and right on the, the website, there's a special offer to, to become a member. If you're listening to this and the fall edition is already in the mail, drop us an email. T. Carpenter at pheasantsforever.org. Yep. Uh, Bob S. at pheasantsforever.org. Get signed up. Let us know that you want to get this particular issue. Yep. And we'll uh we'll get you hooked up. We just want you to become a member. Yep. Subscribe or renew or you don't you can't quite remember if you renew, just just do it. You know, yeah. and we can we can hook you up and uh put you in touch with customer service and get get that part set, but we'll we'll make sure you get a magazine, this magazine, and it's full of some other great pheasant hunting stories too. It's our pheasant hunting issue. And for folks, uh, clarity-wise, you know, if they, if you don't know if you've renewed or not, the beauty of our membership process is we simply add a full year on to your expiration date. So say you don't know, we can if you sign up um, right now, we'll tack a full year on. You might your membership might be good until say June of 2024. You sign up, we'll throw a full year on. You'd be good until June of 2025, and we'll get this issue in the mail to you um, one way or another. All right, nine pheasant hunting lessons relearned. Number one, have a plan and a plan B. Go ahead, Carp. All right, I will. I sort of talked about last season. You know, part of the reason is that you read the magazine article and you'll get some of the strategies behind this but what might work best for some of what we're talking about is real stories now everybody knows opening day of pheasant season i don't care where you live in minnesota iowa south dakota north dakota resident or non-resident opener it doesn't matter it's opening day there's a certain shooting time most Mm -hmm. day even if it's sunrise like in montana or 9 a.m like in minnesota or 10 a.m like it or noon in the start of the season. In South Dakota. In South Dakota, and then yep. it goes back to 10 a.m. 8 o'clock in Iowa. Just check your local we're, regulations because they're all over the map. We're public land hunters here, and that's yep. one of the assumptions we're making here uh, is that you're you – know, I don't care if pheasants are private or public land. They're all hard to get, but in public land, you're also competing with other hunters. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. Um, but it's all fair game to get a spot and claim it. Opening day, everybody knows. I better get out there maybe an hour before, maybe two hours before, and have that parking spot. And a good courteous hunters will come by and say, "God dang it, that guy beat me up, beat me, and mm-hmm. got there." What I'm talking here is even later in the season, especially if you're hunting on a weekend, pressure imp- goes up on weekends and even on weekdays. There's going to be people who are going to be out hunting, and get 
make a plan before you hunt. Um, I like to do it the night before and don't get up and think, okay, I'm going to drive out and drive around and maybe I'll see a bird, maybe I won't. And that's a good way to come up to it, to finally decide where you want to go and come over the hill and there's a car there. Mm -hmm. And I, I purposefully worked last year to make sure every morning I hunted that I knew where I was going to go. Southwestern Minnesota, November, came up over a hill on a Thursday. I thought this is going to be easy. Came up over the hill. There's a car parked right where I wanted to hunt. Mm. And I that's where I wanted to hunt. And I thought, God, dang it. Well, I guess it's I'm going to go around the corner. And there's an 80-acre tract abutting across the road from a 640-acre tract. So you had a plan B. I had a plan B. I went over there. I thought, where's, I got my, where's the wind coming out of the northwest? I went to the southeast corner, and I crisscrossed that thing, and I shot two roosters by 11 a.m. because hmm. I had a plan B. Um, and, yeah, I could have found it just by driving around. But I've also driven around and spend an hour trying to figure out a new spot. And, you know, you start looking at them, you're like, oh, man, that looks good, but man, I don't know. Just have two plans mm. and mm-hmm. make, make one work. But have a plan and go do it. Don't, don't, don't fool around. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, my, that's my plan and a plan B. Um, and we'll get, get to some more of this. And I know um, a tool you use to formulate a plan and a plan B is Onyx. I, I've turned Onyx into a verb. I do Onyx. And, <laughs> and uh, that's absolutely right. And mm-hmm. I talked about how do you do this? Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with hunting memories a little bit. Like, th- I know a good spot. I'm just going to go to that spot because mm-hmm. I want to I get a rooster in the morning. I got to take the kids to to soccer in the afternoon, whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. There's experience. There's a tip. You know, somebody says, golly, you know, ABC, WPA, pretty good. Hunt that southwest corner, you know, whatever. And there's also just cruising on X and looking at places and Mm -hmm. and knowing how to discern crop from field, from woodland, and and just looking at big spots and saying, wow, there's some sloughs out here a half mile from the road. I want to go hunt there. Yeah. Use it, you know, no matter what the tool, use it to make a plan. Well, it is valuable, you know, not just in the scouting mode, but after you've finished hunting a good spot, take a, another look at Onyx and see if you can determine what made that unique as you look at it in Onyx yeah. so you can then replicate yep. what you're seeing Absolutely. in other places. Absolutely. Look back and say, Oh, that's what a slew looks like uh-huh. on Onyx. Right. Oh, that's what a food plot looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely use those tools. And I, I, I like little one-liners, as people know, hunt. Don't hunt for a place to hunt. <laughs> All right. We're going to give um, Onyx a sh- another shout-out. Um, thank you to Onyx for being a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and a sponsor of On the Wing podcast. You can download the Hunt app for a free seven-day trial and get 20% off your membership with Onyx by using the code PFQF. Again, that's 20% off code PFQF, and a portion of the proceeds will come back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Wildlife Habitat Conservation Mission. Thank you so much to Onyx Hunt. All right, number two on your list, Carp, midday hunting 
can be excellent. Well, this sort of goes against the grain of what people think, uh, of, or, you know, c- of conventional wisdom. Um, and a lot of people won't hunt midday, and that's fine. I guess my, my point here is I've had some awfully good hunts midday. And why, why is that so? Uh, the birds aren't moving. They're, you know, the, I'm, I'm saying mm-hmm. platitudes here, but, oh, the birds aren't moving. They've been pushed around. They're, they're hunkered in for the day. Um, they're not laying down scent. Well, that's precisely why midday hunting can be good. Mm-hmm. They sometimes won't move as much during the midday. They rent, they're where they want to be. They're loafing. They're often in thick cover. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about thin cover, too. But it, in my opinion, it's... If you have the opportunity to hunt midday, you've got the power, you've got the dog power, uh, and you've got your own leg power, and the conditions mm-hmm. are good, why not hunt? Well, a couple things that make a big difference for midday hunting, in my opinion. The later in the season, the more relevant, right? Because if you're hunting early season, generally the crops are still in the fields, and midday is when those birds are in the crops, yep. and it can be a bit of a nature hike. Yes. But as the crops come out, then they're f- the birds are filtered into the best cover, and it doesn't matter what time of day. Exactly. Right? To your point. Um, and then it gets better as winter descends upon the northern states because midday can be some of the warmest. Yep sunshine out and the birds want to be out too so they're moving they're active so the time of the year definitely can dictate midday hunting being some of the best yeah you're you're absolutely right i'm glad in fact i didn't even think about that as i was writing this 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 tip but you're you hit it late season absolutely i mean plus (laughs) plus there's a real factor of uh, we're minnesotans here (laughs) but you know, late season, December 21st, you're hunting from 9 a.m. till about 348. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, I mean, if you're, if you're hunting the first the hour, the last, yeah, you're, there's no time left in, in, mm-hmm. in the, the golden hour, the golden two hours start about 130. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so absolutely uh, mid or late season, midday hunting. But I even think about midday hunting early season, especially like, as you said, if the crops are down, um, I'm I'm not a big I you got to just hunt and you can't hunt crops but even if crops are up there's still going to be pheasants in the grass mm-hmm. but last year early October western Minnesota about 6 days into the season I was in came up to a WMA in the morning and there were seven cars hmm. at various spots it's big mm-hmm. it, you know it wasn't a problem but I, I had my plan B. This was a different day than the other one I told about. I came back at one thirty in the afternoon, and there's nobody there. Hmm. And I, you know, where I hunted, I st- I stopped at a parking lot, and I hunted within twenty yards of the road. Hmm. And I shot a rooster by two thirty, hmm. middle of the day. It, the, he was most certainly shunted about from out in the middle, mm-hmm. and he had to stop mm-hmm. at the edge. And it was midday, and the and I had. I didn't deal with any crowds in the morning, and there they there a pheasant was within 20 yards yeah. of the road, um, midday. So, I, I guess bottom line is, it, it's easy to get like a duck hunter 
or a deer hunter and say, I'm going to hunt early and I'm going to hunt late and midday is for, for rest and this and that. But I mean, heck, if you, if you're dry, if you're going on a trip somewhere to South Dakota or North Dakota or Iowa and you end up there at 1130 in the morning, 12 at noon, why not hunt? For, yeah. You know, don't, right. don't wait for the golden hour. My God, right. just hunt. What are you going to do? Play billiards? Exactly. Come on, get out there. Yep. Um, all right, number three, you've you've alluded to this one a couple of times already. Yep. You, you, you're anxious to talk about it. Yep. Number three, make it the golden two hours. Yep. I think with pheasant hunters, we're guilty of relying often, and it's, don't get me wrong, it is the best hour of the day, the last hour, but that last hour can also be tough, and there, there's a couple reasons. I think so. Hmm. One is... The birds are out feeding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, last year, but it's a rather narrow piece. I'd say 20, 40 acres, 20 acres wide there, and then it expands. But as we were hunting up an edge, the birds were out in the field feeding with 50 minutes of light left. Mm. You know, they weren't coming out to feed. They weren't coming in. They were out feeding. A lot of them went the other direction. Mm. Some of them came in the cover where we were, and that was our saving grace. But the golden hour can be a tough hour, especially if those birds have decided to be out there feeding. Um, And also, if you, and this is very conceptual, but an hour goes fast. Mm -hmm. And if you've picked the wrong hour or you've picked the wrong place for that hour, you're done for. Mm. But if you pick two hours, you can go farther. You can work deeper. Mm -hmm. You can go this or there. You're not as limited. Um, and so, so that, that's my big, and that sec, the two, we'll call it the, the golden hour B, which is the hour leading up to golden Mm -hmm. hour A, which is the last one. (laughs) That's when those birds are out moving. That's when they're thinking about, man, we haven't fed since dawn. Mm-hmm. Let's get out. Let's start moving. That's when they're laying down some scent. That's when they're still in cover. That's when you're not out. I mean, you're not in the waist high cover and they can see you. Co- they're out. They're out in corn stubble or wheat stubble or soybean stubble and they see you coming. Zoom. Mm-hmm. There they go. And you're like, oh, now I know where they are. But it's like, no, you don't, because pheasants don't hit, don't land and just stand there and wait for you. They hit the ground running. They're a quarter mile away from where they landed, and you have no idea where they are. So, but I think the biggest one here for me is an hour goes fast. Why not make it two hours? Mm-hmm. I don't think the golden hour B is much, if any, less productive than golden hour A. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting because. You know, your perception golden hours, birds moving around, they're out feeding, um, even up, you know, last 10 minutes. Yeah. I, I think about golden hour and probably where it gets to even the golden 15, 20 minutes at the very, very end. Because yep. where it's so magical is when they are done feeding or wherever they've been out loafing or moving around and they come back into thickest best grass where they're going to roost and they kind of they and you see them a lot of times you see them fly in or you know the there's a ton of scent on the edge of a field and the dog is just going crazy because they're running from the cornfield or whatever back into the grass but the point is they're coming back into the grass a lot of times the public wma or wpa and then from a 
pointing perspective, they hunker. Yep. And you get your your opportunity to get those magical rock solid points tends to happen you know that final 15 minutes when the moving is all done and they're like hey i'm trying to sleep here buddy (laughs) you know and sometimes to your point that can happen you know some of those birds are early to bed (laughs) and that can start to happen as early as two hours yes before and i think that's part of what you're getting at too. yeah yeah i'm (laughs) believe me i'm not discounting that last 10 15 minutes Mm -hmm. but what i am saying is if you're not in the right place in those last 10, 15 minutes and you see them sail in mm-hmm. two-thirds of a mile over up that swale and they're, yeah. they're coming to that hillside, you're done. Yeah. So I'll also give one of my secret, you want to know one of my secret mm. tips for hunting the golden hour? Mm. What do people like to do? Where do you like to end up? You want to end up back at your truck? You know where I want to end up? The farthest away possible. The farthest I can be. I'll walk back in the dark. I'll unload my shotgun. I'll go out on the road and Mm -hmm. and walk back. Mm -hmm. Don't, I mean, believe me, I've shot a lot of pheasants 10 yards from my vehicle on the way back, but I've shot more out in the middle of nowhere at dusk. Mm -hmm. So don't, so hunt, hunt the golden hour. Don't, don't try and get, what what do you got to go do? What, what, What are you so excited to get back to your car for? Sure. I'll I'll add one like part C to this for you, and I know you'll you'll recognize it. When you're hunting the golden hour or the final two, particularly the final hour, final half hour, keep your head up. Yes. Um, you know, look. Make sure you got your head on a swivel, look into the sky, because whether it, particularly when you're in prairie grouse country, um, but you know. Pheasants will be flying back into good cover, but I mean, I've been, I've seen flocks of, you know, a dozen Sharpies or prairie chickens fly into good cover that final 10 minutes. And, you know, you're kind of following your dog, looking at the sunset, beautiful, and like, huh, what's coming at me on the horizon? (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're dive bombed by kamikaze prairie grouse. And that can make for an awful memory of awfully good memory, awfully good memory, awfully good hunt. And if you, (laughs) and if you can't get over there, you know where to go be in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and same, same with pheasants. I'm with you. I mean, believe me, this one, this, this one, making the golden two hours doesn't discount the magic of the last, the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, but mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, one of them being people, people are going to be out there the last hour mm-hmm. and claim the best spots. Why don't you get there two hours ahead and yeah. be there and be out hunting? That's good guidance. Number four, uh, here's another really important one. Hunt, don't drive. All right, I'll tell you this story. And I, um, last year... Iowa, um, late, mid, I'd call it that mid to late season transition where it's like, God, it's not early season. It's, it's not late season yet. Skiff of snow, mm. little ice on the sloughs. You, you could call it late season, but <laughs> it was early December, early, early December, but tough, mm. tough hunting. There's birds around, but they, you know, public land, they knew the jig was up. They were hard to find. And I onxed. I studied hard the night before. It was it was uh, uh, late morning. I headed out, 
And I thought, this is going to be a three, four-hour swing. And I got about two hours in. I, I won't give all the details, but there was a little split, spit of land that attached a WMA to a WPA public. You can walk it, you hmm. know, about, you know, a cow lane wide. Um, and I, th- I had made the whole plan and I got back and I thought, I'm going to be in Pheasant, Nirvana because mm-hmm. nobody's ever going to come back here. Mm-hmm. Probably not that many did because it was a hell of a walk to get back there, but I didn't see a bird. Hmm. And I got around and the dog got birdie a couple times. We may have seen a hen or two, but I'm like, I just can't believe it. And I was looking at my watch, and I'm like, you know, it's 2 o'clock. It's 1.45, 2 o'clock. By the time I get – I can make a beeline back. That's going to take an hour. Then it's going to be 3. But I know a spot. I could probably get there, and that would be a good golden hour, half an hour. And I thought, F it. I'm just going to hunt. And I looked back up up on on X, and I thought, where am I? And I found where I was, and I thought – okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I made a plan and I hunted back and I started hunting back and I just thought I'm hunting. I'm not, I'm not getting to my car and I'm not driving and I'm not, I'm not, I'm hunting and we're coming along a cat and I'll never forget. And, and I'm going to write a story. I'll give you a preview if you're waiting for the winter (laughs) issue. It's going to be called just like that. Mm. And we're walking along, and, and I could see a crop edge up above, and there's about 70 yards of grass on a hillside, on the hillside, and I'm next to the cattails, and I'm like, "What? why isn't there a bird? And whomp, Lark goes on point, mm. right toward the cattails. And she she had one nailed, and I mean, it wasn't blow her nose. It was 20 yards ahead, mm. and I got in there, and I I, I I thought, where is that bird? And she wouldn't budge, and I walked, walked and there it went, right out over the cattails, and, and ha, I dumped it. Hmm. One shot. <laughs> Usually I'm two shots. <laughs> and I'm like, and that, that was about 3.15, and I'm like, I would have been driving around looking, mm-hmm. for, looking for a bird mm-hmm. if, I, if I hadn't just decided, you know what, I've, there's got to be a bird here somewhere. Yeah. You don't, you don't get birds while you're driving Mm -hmm. you get them while you're hunting and why not keep hunting you know just consider that when you're trying to make your decision and it's maybe not going the way the way you think it should be you chose this spot for a reason and hunt you know That, that that's my story hunt don't drive um a lot of people talk confidence when they're talking about fishing, how much does confidence play into your fishing approach? And any pro angler will, you know, double down on it's incredibly important. And to me, what you've just explained, you know, don't drive, hunt, it relates back to confidence. You you pick this spot for a reason. And if you give up, you're like, ah. I'm just not finding any, but the cover looks good. There should be birds. And you're waffling between pulling the pin and moving somewhere else. Or have confidence in your dog, your ability, the the cover. And being ready. Having that mindset of, you, you know, I'm here, which is better than pulling up stakes and going somewhere else and trying to race to find a spot that you maybe get to hunt for 20 minutes and you're just rolling the dice. But if you have confidence, 
you are tipping the scales towards you. It, 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 it is purely about the mental state, right? It is. You, I, I couldn't have said it better. You just said exactly what this tip, what this mindset is. Um, and I, I could tell you 17 stories mm-hmm. of the same thing. And, you know, how do you learn lessons? You make the mistakes. I've made the, this mistake for my first four, 30, 30 years of hunting, and I still make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to talk about that coming up. Um, everybody makes mistakes, but you sort of relearn these lessons. And this one comes back to me so, so often that, that you waste. Anybody who knows me knows I like to be efficient. Mm. Now, I, I, can, I enjoy. <laughs> Anybody that sat through a Teams meeting with you knows that you wanted it to end 20 minutes earlier. I didn't even want it to start in the first place. <laughs> so, but what I'm, what I'm saying is hunting is more efficient than driving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hunt for many things. And mm-hmm. I don't hardly even hunt to shoot birds anymore. But by God, I want to shoot one. And I'm not <laughs> going to shoot one while I'm driving. <laughs> well, I was going to make that point, too. It's like, would you rather be out here walking with your dog, not finding birds or in your truck, trying to speed down gravel roads to find one open spot? It's it, like, okay, that's an easy decision. Yeah. Even if you're not getting birds, like, enjoy the moment. Yep. Relax watch the sunset, look at habitat, see if you can figure something out. But, you know, you're out there for a purpose. You're trying to find birds. Have confidence. Keep your head in the game. Be ready. Keep working. Keep walking. Nothing puts birds in front of you like moving your feet. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I'm guilty of pulling up stakes and jumping to the next place and you and at some point you got to do that yes yes um you can't just live the whole day away in one place if you're not finding success but you know you got to evaluate the variables how much time is this should this have birds on it is the cover right so anyways yep number five well we just got done talking about cover number five light cover holds birds we shoot pheasants where we hunt hunt pheasants right Mm -hmm. it's it's a statistical data set fact that you produce results if you do things a certain way you produce results from that way and you don't have any other comparative because you never do anything else Mm. Mm -hmm. I'll, i'll tell you this story Eastern South Dakota, <laughs> heavily, heavily hunted public land. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say it's near Brookings. Okay. But good, good cover. Um, mid-season, height of height of the pressure. Um, huge, huge slew in the middle. I pounded it, Lark, and I just worked hmm. for three hours the entire morning. I, did, I had one chance, my gun jammed. Hmm. But one rooster in three hours in this, there's a lot of birds there. I knew it. I thought, what do we do? How do we go back? Well, there's there's an upland uh, an upland element to what's a lowland, the slough. And I thought, we're just going to walk up here. It, and it was literally brome grass and mm. a few old fence lines. We're crossing a field between two old brushy fence lines, and she slams on point in grass 14 inches high hmm. 
out goes the biggest rooster I ever saw in my life. <laughs> and I, you know, I honored her. I'm like, she, mm-hmm. she's not point. This is a real point, you mm-hmm. know? And oh, lo and behold, I got, I, mm-hmm. I got it. But I'm like, that bird isn't going to be down the cat. Everybody else is down there pounding those cattails. And this bird is up here in 14 inch brome. Now it, part of it might've been the day, mm-hmm. you know, it was, I a, was wondering what the it, weather was. It like. was a sunny day. Mm-hmm. It was about 32 degrees mm-hmm. after, or maybe 40 degrees after a 25 degree morning, probably, probably sunshine had something to do with it too. Probably also something had to do with it is that a lot of people overlook mm-hmm. a short little piece of grass that had probably, had probably been hayed Mm. in the early summer and what's now coming back and there that bird was right in the middle of it i also did it last a uh, couple of years ago in, in western minnesota similar similar scenario mm-hmm. I, I got a rooster midday happened to be uh out in just light grass that you know you'd walk for doves in in mm-hmm. in, in in september what's, what's it doing out here mm-hmm. well he's not he's not in the willows he's not in the cattails he's not where he's not where everybody else is is hunting yeah. and i also just think they like it i mean pheasants like to see how, how do pheasants you know know you're coming how do they get away they, they, they do have good eyesight. They, 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 they have good ears. They hear you first. The vibration. Vi- yeah, pounding the ground, yep. yelling. Too much whistling or yelling. I mean, you got to do, you got to control your dog a little bit, but that's what we have beepers mm-hmm. for. But they see you. They mm-hmm. like to see you too. Yep. And they can see, they can stick a head up yep. above that. Which cover. is an important distinction. When you are hi- hunting lighter cover, it's imperative that you're in stealth mode. Yes. Because they aren't going to hunker. They're going to run yep. more than any other kind of cover. So you do have to, because they can see, hear, feel yes. you coming. So you got to be very quiet. And that's how we were with the pheasant that started this tale. And I'm sure, I'm sure that I still remember Lark was lo- looping around. We we're crossing back and forth in the wind and she turned on a mm-hmm. dime and pointed. And I'm sure that pheasant, rolled his eyes and thought oh <laughs> shit <laughs> i think you're probably right because <laughs> he he just would have he, yeah. he he didn't he we surprised him uh-huh. and he was hunkering and if she hadn't been in the right place at mm-hmm. the right time and we weren't zigging and zagging and mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that <laughs> you know he would have got he we never would have known he was yeah. there i i think light cover also is partially like we we've indicated weather dependent yes and time time of year, yep. depending uh, earlier in the season, particularly opening day before birds mm-hmm. are pushed, they're out in that light cover, especially broods, young family groups eating grasshoppers in light cover um, opening first yep. week of the season. You for sure yep. can find them. Um, also, but you can look in light cover, you know, on a sunny day in November around Thanksgiving, yep. you know, where people have been hunting the thicker, you know, willow thickets and yep. the cattail edges. You know, I have a buddy's place, beautiful private property that's kind of uh, all the good covers around the perimeter. And the centerpiece is a bowl, kind of a sandy gravel pit bowl, which is a little light brush. But I'll be darned if all the birds don't feel the pressure. And then, yep. you know, at the end of the day, they're in that, that bowl. It's yep. very light cover, and you can go down there and 
finish off your limit yep. from birds that are just, you know, it's the place that they escape. Yeah, we so. find a lot of birds in the thick stuff, but they they're the birds are where we hunt them, right? And mm-hmm. if you only hunt them in the thick, that's where you that's where you're gonna get them. Yeah, it it, it is important to remember like the cattails, the willows, the food plots, the edges. That's your primary. But yeah. if you're hunting spots and you're not finding them there, huh, maybe I better go look get that that lighter cover. Yeah. Process of elimination. Yep. All right. Number six, straight lines are no good. I've learned this. This is, I would say this is sort of innate in the way I hunt pheasants now. Um, You know, obviously you you get together with a few buddies, you got to have a plan Mm -hmm. and that's good. That's fun. But you, me, and I think a lot of listeners, what do we, what do we really live for? Well, we like, we like the camaraderie hunts, but we live for me, my dog. Being outdoors. Out, outdoors with just me and my dog mm-hmm. and nobody else to worry about. Mm-hmm. I don't have to coordinate anybody. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to, all I have to do is work with my dog. Mm-hmm. And so I never hunt a straight line and maybe part of it is because I keep my little pointing dog almost within flushing range if not within flushing range and people know that they've listened to me before they know the reasons why pheasants don't cooperate I like that control um you know everybody has a different style and none of them are right and none of them are wrong but that's my style I don't cover much ground, and if you have a flushing dog that is within flushing range, if you just walk a straight line in this quartering, you you walk through a property, and you get to the other side, and it's like, well, now what do I do? Well, you walk back with the wind at your back. Um, I, to be honest with you, I like to cross back and forth. Like imagine a, let's keep it simple. Picture a square, north wind coming down. I'll start at the southeast corner and walk west, and then I'll head north along the west side and I'll walk east, and I'll go up. You know, I don't know, it might be a hundred yards mm. between, and and I'll hunt that way, or I'll angle, I'll zig and zag it if mm-hmm. I want to cover ground faster. I hardly ever, unless it's by, unless it's by happenstance, hunt directly into a wind, mm. and even then, it's like you think of seams and edges and a cattail slough or a willow slough, it's never straight. We just by design, by following contours of land and cover, you don't, you don't walk a straight line. And I also think about this before the next time you look at your dog, if you're listening to this podcast, look at its nose. Okay. Look at the side of its nose. What's on the side of its nose. It has a slit. There's an opening. They can smell from the side. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a reason dogs are so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And that is they were made that way. Yep. And they don't have to have that wind coming directly into their two nostrils. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be quartering. They can be crossing. They can smell things going different directions. But the biggest thing is, and we're, we've talked about hunting time, you don't – if. If you picture that square block I talk about, let's say it's good classic pheasants forever pollinator type habitat. It's just like, oh my God, you can just look at it and go, oh, this is, there's, I know there's birds in here and you can just tell by looking at it sometime. You take one path through and it's like, oh, but if you, if you go back and forth, 
you know, across the wind. I mean, my dog and I could spend three hours in 160 acres, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's scouring it. So don't walk a straight line. Mm -hmm. And we're also talking about the crisscross, the wind tip here, which is the next one. Well, let's go right to it because I I wholeheartedly agree with not walking a straight line, particularly when there's kind of a game trail already created by so many hunters that have walked the perimeter. They just walk the box and um, don't follow that. You can see it from the parking lot. Yeah, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. I mean... (laughs) Every, every pheasant in that place knows what every hunter does. Go do something different. I'll even offer something something better than parking at the parking lot and not taking the trail as that's, that's go to somewhere else that's not a parking lot and head in from there and then see how, how you might surprise a bird. Mm-hmm. Number seven, crisscross the wind. I sort of mixed my metaphors and mixed my tips here. <laughs> when I But I got into this you did, yeah. with the last one is, you know, Take a look at your dog. They they can smell from across wind. Mm-hmm. And if you take that straight line, that straight path, it's random. Mm-hmm. But if you grid it, if you crisscross, think about a north wind and you go east to west, back and forth as you head north. You're never heading straight north. You're always heading east or west or northwest or, or northwest and south. <laughs> northwest, northeast, northwest, northeast, if you're zigzag. Right. All right. Um, you're going to cover more ground, you're going to scour it better, your dog's going to have a better time, and you're going to hunt that place harder. And you're not going to do one walk in and one walk back, and oh, by the way, with the wind at your back and the way back, and go, okay, where do I drive to next? It's Mm -hmm. like, just hunt. Yeah. Give it, like I said, my my dog and I can take, I see 160 acres, I see a half a day of hunting, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, one way to illustrate this is go to a game farm preseason and flag flag some birds so you know exactly where they are in a field and you're walking your dog you know you figure out where the wind is and you're walking your dog and watch how that dog is scenting and moving and where they're picking up scent and where they're not you know dogs are incredible but you can they can sometimes walk within a foot and not pick up the scent but then for whatever reason they get you know we call it a scent cone or a scent cloud and for whatever reason they'll they'll react and you can start seeing how the dog the scent the wind in a bird, if you know where the bird is, all sort of interrelate together. You can learn an awful lot yep. doing some practice. I'm talking about practice at the game farm. You really can. Uh, that's a great tip. Um, and, and at a game farm, you got that lighter grass often. You can see what's going on. I, I love that tip. Um, <clears throat> I'll also say, in, in us two, we two here are pointing dog guys, but when you think about that scent cone you talked about, and if you're, this is more of a pointing dog guy tip because you're up close and personal. You see what's going on. Um, I suspect your flushing dog has this in a different way. But look at your dog the next time it's pointing a rooster. And how many times is it just pointing straight ahead with its head in line with its spine? Hmm. No. Hmm. They're like, whoop. Yeah. That I'm, I'm turning my head right now. Whoop. That head is to the side. How did they smell that? 
they got they 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 can smell they don't have to have that wind straight on to smell mm-hmm. them now maybe that's best but that's not re- that's not most efficient either yeah crisscross i i guess in it if you just can't bear not to not hunt into the wind just give it a little try that you're not directly walking into the wind sometime mm. and do it enough and i think you'll be surprised at how many more birds you find think pace not race number eight think pace not race i like to uh you know use use words to describe this but i said miles matter but pace matters more hunt slow um you i talk about you scour you meander you zig you zag you investigate you recheck something out i just the f- best pheasant hunters I know go slow. Hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that fast doesn't work, that covering a lot. There's a couple ways to go at mm-hmm. it. And I, I guess it fits my style. And everybody has a style. But my style is my little pointing dog is not ranging that far. Um, I've got to I've got to walk. I've got to co- use her and cover ground with her. Hmm. And you talked before about those. a dog can – uh, you know, in the game farm, and you're looking at your try, and sometimes they're a foot away and they can't smell that bird. Well, give that dog plenty, many, and plenty of opportunities to work it out. How do you do that? By going slow. But God, that dog thinks something is interesting down here. I'm just going to stand here and let her work. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many pheasants I've shot in 50 <laughs> years, just standing there watching my dog th- figure things out for <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> And I don't know how many birds I've got by thinking, you know, I walked that willow slough, but I really didn't hit that other with that one side. I'm going to swing back around, hmm. you know, don't, what's the rush? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of like, it, it sort of harkens back to uh-huh. don't hunt, don't drive, um, hunt, don't, don't hunt, don't wander, hunt, don't speed through it, hmm. just hunt and and take your time um do you do you keep track of steps yeah uh, yes do you I, do you I, know what your steps are in a typical pheasant hunt i did a column last year bob on my whole, i knew my you're, you're the saber sabermetrician of uh pheasant hunting so yeah i did i think seven hundred twenty thousand steps last year for the but what for what about for an year. average day of pheasant i'd hunting? say an average day at, <laughs> It's like, well, if I shoot three birds in the morning, it might be five thousand. Sure, sure. I'll I'll see. I'd say the average on a pheasant hunting day would be about fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Which is and that's for, that's hard walk for me. That's hard walk, and that's probably about seven miles but that's, for me. That's okay. Yep. Uh, that, that okay. Um, but I've I've done as many as thirty two thousand uh, upland hunting. I've done as many. Well, as sharp tails are going to cover yeah. a lot more. So here here's what I what I'm thinking there because I think a lot of people give this similar sort of advice: slow down. And you've said it before on this yes. very podcast: slow yep. down. And I know you're a believer in a methodical, meandering sort of very deliberate approach Mm -hmm. and i get that and i've seen it work i know that i walk faster i know that i like to cover as much ground as possible 
I also have a little different style of dog yep. that plays into it too. You know, I, I, you know, while we both have pointers, I don't have horseback running field trial pointers, but I have pointers that I want to get out there and cover ground. And yep. I'm oftentimes running, running two at a time, which <laughs> increases yeah. the amount of distance yep. that I have to cover. But I know that I'm walking past birds. But I also know that I'm getting to corners and spots that others aren't getting because yep. I'm picking them up and putting them down. Because I think my average day, steps-wise, is probably closer to 20,000 on a pheasant hunt and 30,000 on a sharptail hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think you're probably not running over as many birds as I am, but the converse of that is I might be getting to birds that you're never going to yeah, reach, you know, absolutely, absolutely. and part of the point is have a philosophy and roll with it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And in in none of these answers are, you know, etched in stone from mm-hmm. the pheasant hunting gods and brought down. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause you've, you said that in the opening, right? Yep. And, and, you know, I, I absolutely, this one doesn't apply to you. And it makes sense that, you walk more steps because you're, those dogs are moving and you're always moving. Mm-hmm. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not always moving on a pheasant hunt. Hmm. I'll let that dog just root around hmm. in the cattails and just just stand there. Um, but that said, I've done, you know, the 25,000-step pheasant day as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, I think our, our guess is that our average, at our average step counts for a day, makes sense mm-hmm. i think you're moving you're moving f- faster two dogs more. bigger running dogs yeah. did, it, they're going to drive me to hunt a little differently than your one dog who ranges a little bit closer you're going to cover ground differently and yep. um they're they're both a little different and i think you know our our flusher audience which is so many of our mm-hmm. our members here you know they're they're in the pace not race yeah, category. yeah i think that's right all right, the finale, number nine. Get greedy, get nothing. All right, tell us about this one. All right, we're we're probably we we had a little pre, uh, a little pre podcast talk. I think Bob and I might differ a little bit, but it also comes on this <laughs> one. But it also comes down to down to our style. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I talked about it in one of these tips, and you'll have to go read the story. Um, Or maybe I didn't do this one in there, but I talked about one bird. What are you hunting for Hmm. in a hunt? And I'm backing up a little bit from get greedy, get nothing. But any day spent, to me, any day spent pheasant hunting is a win. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, I'd rather be fishing than working. I'd rather be hunting than working. The best day fishing is the worst day at work, whatever. <clears throat> but we still want to get pheasants. That's why we're hunting. That's mm-hmm. why we have a dog. Mm-hmm. That's why we practice shooting trap and skeet all summer. That's why we spend thousands of dollars on our dogs. And we, you know, we we live and breathe. We, we live life for many things, but one of them is hunting pheasants. Mm-hmm. When I'm out there, hunting pheasants i hunt for one bird i don't care about a limit mm-hmm. maybe i want to get a limit but you ain't gonna get a limit if you don't get one bird to start it 
and you aren't going to get a brace of birds, that old classic upland term, I got a brace of birds, <laughs> if you don't get number one first. You can't go four for four if you don't hit the first single out of the exactly. first inning. So I hunt for one bird as I hunt, but I also hunt for one bird if I have an opportunity that I could maybe shoot more than one bird, and that's called a double. Mm. And pheasant hunting being what it is, we hunt long, we hunt hard, whether we're following our big ranging pointers across wide open grasslands like you, or I'm scouring this this 160 acres and I'm on my third hour of doing it, sooner or later we end up with these pheasants being what they are. Mm-hmm. They're often flocked together. Mm-hmm. They, they, they like to be together. Their safety in numbers, the habitat drives them to uh, conglomerate together where the, the habitat is good, the feed is good, they're close together, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. we all have done it. Explosion Here's of color. A, explosion of color, it's, you know, 17 birds here, and we keep walking, and, and, and they keep going. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. It's not pretty, but it's reality. And I learned this many, many years ago that you don't, shoot two birds at once i don't Hmm. i go for one i don't care how easy it is i broke that rule about three years ago in southern north dakota golden hour end of a long day in a spot where like i just could not believe we weren't finding birds Hmm. um lark was a pup she was you know, born in April, and this was late October. I hunt my dogs is when they're a pup, that's what you do. I, that's what I do. I just look, take them hunt, I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was one of my mistakes. Um, we came, we got to a cat, a grassy edge, cattail slough, and we found a mother load hmm. after like an hour, and there's like 10 minutes of light left. It was that perfect time you mm-hmm. described earlier. Out goes a rooster just, and she pointed him, little, little shit. <laughs> and out goes a rooster, and I dumped it hmm. right in the cattails. And I'm like, okay, out goes another, and puppy, long day, hard day, I got greedy. Hmm. And I shot another one going out over the field, over hmm. the grass. Hmm. And I saw it go down. I thought, this isn't good. Hmm. What do I do? I'm standing. There was two birds down in a six-month-old pup. Mm. One bird would have been a different story. Mm-hmm. I, we, we went off and looked for... I, I made another mistake. In this, How do I say this? I probably should have went after the one I knew was dead. Mm. But I thought I winged one. We chased it. Mm. No find. Came back. No way I'm ever going to find that one in the cattails. Mm. We, I loaded my gun. We stayed the full dark. Two birds down, none. Mm. So, I, and I knew that lesson. Mm. I knew it. And that was like my, you know, I knew it from the first time I'd ever done it, which was when I was 14 years yeah. old. Yeah. And I broke it again. I got greedy and I got nothing. And the last two seasons, I've had one chance in each season to take a double, mm. and I'd pass it up. Mm. I'd say, nope, I'm going to get one. 
hunt for one bird. Um, well, that's I, I see your perspective there. That's pretty wise. And you yes. know, and, and you know, you learned a hard lesson there with a very young pup because seven, eight months, seven, eight months old. About. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a challenging situation for a young pup, and then you got the combination of cattail cover. Um, you know, I, I rem- when you started talking about this before the recording, I thought, you know, when I hunted in West Texas with Steve Snell, and you can go back and listen to that podcast about a year ago, with with bobwhite quail and scale quail, Steve's like, you shoot one bird. We don't shoot doubles. And, and I was a guest, and, and uh, I, I abided by yep. that um, rule. And, you know, afterwards I asked him, he's like, you know, people just think – Quail are, are, they're not, they don't understand how tough they are, particularly in West Texas in the desert where, you know, you drop a bird and you think it's dead, but they bury underneath a cactus or a rat hole or something, you know, and they disappear instantly. So, you know, his, his philosophy, identical to yours, you know, be happy with one, get one and, and be content. And I, I, I admit being greedy. You know, I, particularly I think about rough grouse, sharp tails, which is a little bit different story because they are both birds. Grouse species tend to be birds that, yeah. you know, they're the Monty Python of bird. You get one BB, oh, they're down. Well, <laughs> the, and, and I'm talking pheasants here. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. And it, with pheasants, they are so tough. You got to, yeah, you got to be. You got to smack them. And so are quail. I mean, you told the story about down in West Texas. I mean, I, I hunted quail end of, end of last year in Iowa in January, and I I uh, got a, I shot a quail, went down, and I got over there with the dog. That little sucker was running. Mm-hmm. They are so tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care that they weigh six ounces. Yeah. You know, they're tough. And then go, you know, you, you use you use your uh, you know use your your fine judgment, but go after a single. Mm-hmm. Don't don't shoot two. Um, but I know that there are different situations, even in the pheasant hunting, mm-hmm. where you can shoot a double. I think you're different. You got two dogs two at dogs, a time, and both. I'll, I'll say this: they both re- retreat. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. my dog doesn't. She goes and finds them and stands there and says, "Come here, boss. Here it mm-hmm. is. That's just the deal we have. It works." Um, so I shouldn't be shooting two birds at once, no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think about my friend Scott Rawl down in Nobles County with four black labs. Right. I mean, he could shoot. He, it's not le- He could shoot eight birds and they'd bring them all back. Yeah. You know. You're right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's different when you know you have those really well trained retrievers. Yes. Absolutely. You go have have at those doubles. Yep. I I feel similarly. You know, I think about the age of the dogs and the situation, the type of cover, the time of day. Yep. You know, you're going to run out of daylight um, if you're chasing, you know, a year like we're heading into. You know, I've got Esky, nine years old, who I consider a very good cripple finder. Um, she's had to be because yeah. of my shooting. <laughs> and I've got Gitchy, who, who's been... You know, uh, who's been trained by Mike Weebin and the folks at Dock and uh, to retrieve and I'm, and she's four years old. So I got a nine and a four, which in many ways prime years. Like I'm gonna take a crack at a double. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'll be greedy. I'm gonna go for it. Yep. Um, 
next year when I have a puppy along is going to be a different scenario. Yep. But and that's that's part of yep. the learning. You got to understand those variables too. Yep. So that's it's know. a fun article, Carp. Thank you. That's it's a. Uh, it was fun to write, and like I say, it's not. It's not your typical tactical thing that we've all read 80 times and sort of know innately um, and or can figure out on our own. They're just a few lessons that they continually crop up. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, you know, life is what it is, and you sort of forget what you know. And then you rediscover it, and you're like, God, I used to know that. And maybe that's 50 years of pheasant hunting. I don't know, but... I'm still learning and relearning. (laughs) Well, that's as good a closing thought as you could put together. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks. It was fun. All right, folks. If you're not yet a member, please go to pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Become a member. Um, Drop Carp a note. Let him know you heard this particular podcast. He'll hook you up with the Pheasants Forever Journal Fall Edition where you can read nine Pheasant Hunting Lessons Relearned by Tom Carpenter. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. You might shoot a double. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, folks. Something good will rise.